Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Welcome to the Wild Tales podcast. I'm Jason Fox, and this series is all about adventure, resilience, and inspirational humans. The podcast is presented by the Book of Man, and in partnership with Talisker, the single malt whiskey made by the sea. I have a very special episode of the podcast where my guests are two rowers taking on the Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge, which starts on the 12th of December this year. Dixon McDonald and Jimmy Carroll are part of a team called Latitude 35, who are competing in the race from the Canary Islands to Antigua. And we chat about how their preparations are going and how much of a challenge this is. As an added bonus, I was also joined by Aldo Kane, who I rode the Atlantic with in 2016, so we could all share some experiences and advice on achieving at sea. As usual, you've been asking me questions on Instagram for this episode. Because it's Christmas, I'll be sending out a Talisker Sea salted caramel gift pack to the persons whose question I picked out. Anyway, here we go, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Right, hi everyone. Um, it's a bit of a different one today. Um, first of all, we've got Aldo Kane back, unfortunately. He's, I suppose, assisting me in this podcast because it's been deemed that I need assistance because it's early in the morning. But today we've got a couple of incredible guys, Dixon and Jimmy, who are about to set off on their Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge. They're going to be rowing across the Atlantic from La Gomera in the Canaries, which is where you are now. Am I correct? Correct. Right. And they are rowing to Antigua, which is a small island in the Caribbean. Good to meet so, you, lads, guys. Welcome. Good to meet you. Thanks for coming on. I know it's early, but I know you've also got a lot of stuff to do anyway. Thanks for having us. Yeah, great to be on. Aldo, thanks for coming along at this early hour. It's all because of Aldo that we're here this early. Thanks, oh. big time. Right, we've got this, this conversation could go in one of a million different directions, but we do have structure to it, believe it or not. It might not seem like that at the end, but we have got structure. And the first thing I'm going to set off with is how do you two know each other? Yeah, so we we know each other through through a mutual friend of ours who's one of our teammates, a guy named Todd Hooper. Uh, and Jimmy and Todd are good buddies, and, and Jimmy can speak to that a little bit more. But uh, I had started uh, putting a team together uh, about two years ago as, as team captain of, of Latitude 35. And um, we were looking for, for another teammate. And... Uh, very luckily got got this guy and, and Jimmy can give you a little bit more detail about how that happened. Yeah, so I, I was in a barbecue actually back in June of this year. You were in um, it? <laughs> yeah, I was in a barbecue. <laughs> we're having a few beers and Todd Todd looked up and said, we're looking for a fourth teammate. Situation's changed. And before I could say anything, my wife had volunteered and said, yeah, here, here go. And I was like, okay, right, cheers, thanks, I'm off. Yeah, there's so, a hidden who, message there somewhere. <laughs> who knows what she's up to now whilst, uh, whilst I'm out here. <laughs> I'll leave that to your imaginations. Oh, and, uh, yeah, so the, the rest is history. But luckily, because of COVID, the guys hadn't been able to do any training together. And uh, so we went down to Burnham on Crouch, and we got in this beautiful boat called a leader who had done some crazy crossing and we did all our training is it, is it, in her is it still in good nick may i had no idea you were in our old boat so for those listening elida 
is our is the boat that Mialdo, Matt Bennett, Ollie Bailey, and Ross Johnson, the sociopath, rowed across uh, the Atlantic in. I didn't know that. Uh, not after we left it. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, There's a lot of stalactites and what have you in the cabins, which is pretty golfing. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. a little bit of a facelift. <laughs> that would be Aldo. He's definitely seen a lot of uh, cabin love. So yeah. you, so basically, you got to know each other through being through. volunteered. Yeah, so yeah, and there's one other guy, obviously John Molson, who makes up who makes up the the fourth man in the team. Um, John O and I were both in the army together, but we didn't actually know each other. We we're in separate regiments, um, both in reconnaissance regiments. Yeah, and um, yeah, so we've got two civilians and then two stinking chat army boys. <laughs> so it sounds, to be fair, it does sound a bit like Azaldo, doesn't it? Yeah, well, the, the, the idea kind of came about um, in a pub, I reckon, and then our first team building event was was three-day long-haul session at Glastonbury. Um, <laughs> so I, had, I, I don't think we, uh, we we were the same. We, we hadn't sort of had any experience either or did much training for it. But, yeah, it sounds very similar. That's why... To be fair, that's why we asked if what state the boat Elida was in, because the first time we got into it and tried to row, row out of Bur said Burnham on Crouch, I think we spanked into every yacht that was moored up in the marina. It was embarrassing. Yeah. Someone was like, oh, there's, there's a bloke on that boat that was in the special boat service. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> trying to hide. Anyway, um, so that's how you know each other. In fact, what do you two do at the moment as a job? So I, I work at a healthcare technology startup. So it's a cloud medical imaging uh, company. And, and before that, I spent eight years working in the financial services industry. So I don't exactly have the most traditional background as you think about people that are rowing across an ocean, uh, especially considering that I grew up in a, a 17 floor apartment building in Manhattan. Um, but uh, I think similar to you guys, and, and although having read a little bit about your background, I'm, I'm very much drawn to the outdoors. And um, had gotten into the triathlon world a little bit later in life um, as, a, as a competitive age grouper and um, heard about this race from a client and was completely hooked. I was blown away by the fact that there are actually people that are crazy enough to, to row across the Atlantic Ocean and watch the videos of people starting off in Lagomera and then finishing in Antigua and uh, just was, was thinking to myself, this is something I have to do. J Jimmy, what are you up to at the moment then? Well, not what you do at the moment. What what what's your job? Um, so I set up a company called Polaris uh, th three years ago. Actually, folks, that's where we first kind of met at Fremont and what have you. Yeah, that's and right. um, yeah. I set it up with another ex-army mate, and it's a luxury experiential adventure travel company. So we operate both on land and at sea, uh, and take clients all over the world, places like Antarctica, Papua New Guinea, Socotra, Eritrea. Um, and also more friendly places, you know, all over the States, anywhere, really. Uh, so. Brilliant. The, the, the irony is you're taking yourself on one of the most um, sort of luxurious on the planet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you basically take people away on those and you stitch yourself up. Yeah, pretty but, um, much, pretty much. The idea of you know, stepping onto a 100-metre super yacht after this will be even better, but yeah. <laughs> how, do you, how much do you know about the Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge and why i mean dicks you've obviously just sort of semi mentioned it but why did you why did you choose that what made you get involved with that one 
Yeah, sure. So the Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge, for, for those who don't know, is a 3,000 mile ocean rowing race unsupported from Lagomer and the Canary Islands to uh, Antigua and the Caribbean, as, as Foxy mentioned. And it's uh, we'll be rowing in shifts of, of two hours on, two hours off, uh, 24 hours a day for the entirety of the crossing. And we may have to mix up the shift patterns a little bit, depending on how tight the race is. Um, but the reason we picked it, um, I think first and foremost is um, it's an extremely reputable race in, in the ocean rowing community, and it's, it's labeled as the world's toughest row. Uh, and Atlantic campaigns are the organizers of the race have a sterling record. Um, and so naturally, as, as we think about uh, different adventures to go and pursue to, to be part of a race where uh, there is a flawless safety record, obviously, is, is extremely appealing. So um, and there, there are 21 other teams, 55 rowers from nine countries this year. And um, we just thought if, if we were going to go try to make a splash and, and, uh, and win this thing, this, this was the best way to go and do it. What's the, what's the fastest time um, right now? Like, what's the, what's the record for that crossing? For the four-man team, that's uh, 29 days and 14 hours. Um, right. And that was set back in 2018, so, which was rapid. Uh, they had very favorable conditions. What's the, what's the longest um, sort of training uh, row that you've done? Because you said with obviously with COVID you've not been out. Um, but yeah, what's what's interesting to know how much training you've actually done? So we, we've logged, I think, well north of 130 hours in the boat in, in total. Um, the, the longest and, and probably most miserable session we did was the first weekend in October. Uh, we, were, we were out uh, in the North Sea in freezing cold conditions. It was pissing down rain the entire time. Uh, and we had a, a nice uh, about 30 knot headwind that we were rowing into uh, combined with an, uh, pretty strong currents as well. So we, we ended up having to, uh, to row in shifts of three guys on the oars, one guy resting, uh, two hours on, 40 minutes off for about 12 hours, uh, three of which we were rowing pretty much in, in, in yeah. the same spot. Half the knots, I'd say, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, someone actually commented, one of the questions was, it looked like we're wearing a lot more heavy duty kits than you guys were. That was because that was that weekend. It was just, it was raining cats and dogs. It was, I it think was gopping. You did, you did that, folks. You, you, that's, where, that's when I almost got kicked off the team because I my work schedule at that time was so hectic and I was like back-to-back -back expeditions. And then we had this four-day North Sea thing or be in Venezuela doing a world first with Bakshaw and I was like I, I need to go need to go where the work is and then afterwards Foxy and uh, Ross were telling me that it was absolutely honking wasn't it didn't you get beaten by um quite a lot of um old pensioners well I'll tell you what happened so basically Aldo, <laughs> Aldo, Aldo, Aldo didn't want to come out we rode across the North Sea it was an idea that Charlie Pritchard came up with Awesome, awesome bloke. Aldo couldn't come, didn't want to come through his teddies out the pram and that less because we, we were a team of five, not four. And uh, we went and did this North North Sea race. And um, it wasn't, it didn't, it wasn't as bad as yours, lads, to be fair, as far as I'm aware. It was actually quite, quite, apart from Nelly got, getting ploughed into by a massive container ship, it was, the weather wasn't too bad, but we did get beaten by a bunch of middle-aged women, which they took great pleasure in writing about in their book. Um, uh, so yeah, we did do the North Sea race, but ultimately we didn't get an awful lot of training hours in, did we? I think one of the, 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 the biggest training session we'd put to one side was supposed to be a weekend away in the boat as a five. We rode out of the crouch, 
the, yeah. the river crouch <laughs> and, to the, and to the fair the fairway boy the fairway marker boy and then we were like ah, let's tie up on that and we basically sort of like got a bit rode back in <laughs> rode back into the marina yeah <laughs> so um, that was yeah the training we sort of I'd, I'd say when we got to portugal in the gosh that's when we sort of it was I suppose we went into a blind panic because we were like, oh, hang on a minute. We're only, we're, we're like a week or so away from this and we don't actually know what we're doing. Well, so were you, at that point, were you worried? Because I, like, I look back on it and you and I were mega busy afterwards. But at that time, were you, were you worried about it or was it the same as any other job? I was, no. So it, we will come back to you guys because it's all about you. But I, I was just asking me. Really, I was, I was, I was ex I had an excited anxiousness about me when we were in Portugal, as in like it's a daunting prospect. But I'd already got over the how I needed to deal with it, so I'd thought about the big bigness of it earlier on, and that I could picture myself at the end. But then I was just concentrating on every day. I, did, I refused to give the the entirety of the expedition the thought because it would have freaked me out. So I was just concentrating on the the day to day bits and pieces we need to do needed to do on the build-up the, the bit when i did get freaked out though was actually a few months earlier when i was on holiday in um ibiza and i was sat on a beach and i was looking out to sea and it was just disappear you know where it just disappears into nothing it hits the horizon and i was like we're going to be rowing out into that never to see never to see land again maybe and it, that was the daunting but i I'm glad I went through that, and I'm sure. Are you? Have you had the same sort of experiences within your your heads? Yeah, I think I, pretty much so. I think certainly going out into the North Sea, we we know the the roach rather well as well. Um, but getting out there, there's a couple of experiences, and I think that last weekend you're like, what have we signed up for? And and then thinking yeah. actually, the North Sea is nothing compared to the Atlantic with potential 30, 40 foot rollers. How how are we actually going to train for this? That's the kind of thing that you, you keeps you up at night. You're like, this yeah. is real. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I actually had a similar experience to you, Foxy. I was standing on the beach with my dad about a year and a half ago, and uh, he just was looking out at the horizon similarly, and, and he said, um, he said, Dix, just please come back, otherwise your mom is going to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I, and I remember looking at it. It wasn't that you were going to be gone. It was just the fact that he was going to be yeah. deep in shit. <laughs> no, that's that's exactly it. It was more concerned about my mom than me, I think. <laughs> no, but but joking aside, I, I completely agree. I, I think there's a, a nervous excitement right now, um, and at this point, we've we've been thinking about it and training for it so long that we just we just want to get this thing underway. We we last night we had dinner with uh, the oldest competitor ever to take place in the race, Frank, who's 71, and it's like the guy's absolutely nailed. You know, he's yeah. fully out there. He, wow. he went on the Bear Grylls' Survivor Island, did that. And then he's like, I need another challenge. 71, let's go and row the Atlantic solo. Um, so is he on this, is he on this um, Atlantic on challenge? On this race, yeah. So okay. the BBC are all over him. Channel 4 are making a documentary, um, which is good. You know, it gets the race lots of coverage. So yeah, yeah. But he's, he's funny. That's awesome. That's okay. That's all right. You get you get all sorts up there, I suppose. Is there a bit of an atmosphere out there in Lagomera at the moment? There is, but to be honest, it's pretty subdued. You have to walk everywhere. You have to walk with a mask. Uh, um, um, outside, you have to wear a mask on the boat on the boat park. The bars are open, but they're only open till one, uh, and it's only seated um, service only. So it's a only open till one in the morning. <laughs> Mate, that's all right. <laughs> 
<laughs> exactly. That's why you need them for longer. You're athletes now. The shape is. It, I mean, this COVID has, you know, it's it's sort of ruined a few things because if it wasn't for COVID, we, me and Alda would have probably actually been out there to do this interview. Yeah. As it is, we're not. So we better not think about it too much. But yeah, so obviously you've got you you've dealt with the sort yeah. of pre-row blues. I'd say you're now in that. I was, I was, are you, I, Am I right in saying you're probably at that point now where you just want to get on with it? You're sick to death of the sort of the build-up now, especially being in, in the Canaries. Yeah, well, as, as Jimmy said, since bars close at 1 a.m., you know, there's only so much you can really do here uh, right right now. Um, but yeah, no, we're, we're after thinking about this for so long, yeah. we're, we just want to get it started. And, and we've been working on the boat and we actually have our safety inspection today at, at 1 p.m., which is where we'll get final sign-off and then our, our boat should be put in the water on Saturday. And then we'll have a week until the race starts on the twelfth. So, um, uh, yeah, we just we just want to crack on with it. You know, I think um, Foxy that that we didn't have was obviously we we pushed out and went from Portugal on a, on a Todd's, but um, and a lot of people look at it and go, "Well, there's however many boats." You know, you'll have that feeling of camaraderie. But once you get out there in the hydrodynamics of boats, once you're out there, you don't really see another boat again, do you, until you're on the other side? Is that right? Pretty much. And because Angus is doing our weather routing, he, he could send us a completely different route to everyone else as well. So from the beginning, we could be going north and they're all going south. Let's hope he doesn't fuck that mm. one up. But um, yeah. <laughs> we, had, we had Foxy's old man doing a weather routing because um, he, like, he's, he's obviously a, a, a seaman. And um, he, every time we go into a spot of bad weather, Foxy would be on the phone. He'd be like, "That Dad, you never told us about this. Do you remember that? Instead of like two days at Parang and screaming at your old man. It didn't sound like a toothless job, though, to be fair. <laughs> you guys were sponsored by Imarsat, weren't you? So we just got them on board as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, Imarsat are good. They're, they're good for... Um, they're good for these crazy expeditions yeah. and they've always supported us really well, actually. In Marsat, yeah, supported us super well and, and have supported me on, on other expeditions with their, we, we had um, like a began on board and, you know, so we had some access to internet and things. So yeah, super good. Yeah. I got to say, so the, obviously when we did ours and Imarsat was very, very, very kind, they said, look, there's the began, there's a couple of satellite phones. We've topped them up, blah, blah, blah. You know, make sure that you, with those satellite phones, you've pretty much got free reign. You know, it's there for your welfare. We're worried about your morale and that, so make sure you use those. Anyway, they didn't they didn't get used as much as they probably thought they would. The began got absolutely rinsed because everyone just wanted to bang shit up on Instagram and Twitter for the old yeah. self-validation. And uh, we came back. We came back. And uh, my mate Del, who's at, uh, who's at Imarsat, was like, lads, uh, you know, Imarsat would really like you to come in and give a talk to, uh, you know, to a, to a small audience, but they will broadcast it out to the masses in the Imarsat community around the world. And we were like, okay, cool. We went in, we got into, it's on Old Street, actually, Old Street Roundabout. And we went, okay. as you know, went in there, had a little chat, sat down in the canteen, and then Del was like, hey, he goes, lads, the... Um, the execs want to see you as well because uh, you racked up a bit of a bill. And basically, Dell kept sending us messages while we were out there. And he was like, lads, try and curb. <laughs> He's trying to say it nicely and being diplomatic because obviously we're in the middle of the ocean. He's like, just try and curb the data usage on the BGAN. Anyway, we racked up a bill of approximately 75,000 pounds. <laughs> 
Now, I don't really know what that means because ultimately it's just you're paying for airspace, aren't you? Is that not yeah, yeah. so anyway? So I sort we sort of justified it. So that's a challenge. But ultimately, Imarsat became our biggest sponsors and they never gave us a penny. We, so we've got a Fleet One dome on our boat uh, on the stern cabin, right. with the, which obviously got the began in it, but on a gyroscope, so it's constantly moving. Oh, mate, that's easy. We, were, we had to sit and like point it towards. That, it, honestly, it was one of the hardest things going, and it was always in the worst position. And you were like trying to balance it on one thing with your phone. You like so a wave would come in, and then you'd be effing and blinding. It was a nightmare. Yeah. So, how much training do you reckon you've racked up? So we did the hours on the boat on, on your boat, and that was enough. To be honest, we had to get off that thing, and um, <laughs> and then it, and then it's been gym time. But a lot of that because of lockdown, there was no gyms open for the majority of that time. So it was all you know, it's what you could steal and, and get into the house and in the garden. And so I think we all luckily managed to get hold of an ergo, um, and then. Uh, got a load of free weights yeah. and you know, and other bits, so we could got a program. And Gus Barton was our you know, strength and conditioning coach. Um, yeah, I bumped into him the other day in Battersea Park, weirdly. <laughs> and so, and then a lot of stuff, you know, a lot of sessions done over Zoom and things like that. But then when the gyms opened up again, we could get back in, do a quick smash on one of Gus's programs, and then they shut down again for the last month. So that was another hurdle to get over as well. Um, so it's, it's been a different year from what I think teams would normally prepare. Yeah, to, to Gus's credit too, he's also had to train, you know, three of us being based in London, one of us myself being based in New York City, he's had to train us across different continents and obviously with a, with a lockdown. And so he's been great at adapting our programs. And I would say, despite the lockdown, we've probably trained somewhere between, I would say an hour to an hour and a half during the weekdays. And then I would say kind of two to three hours on the weekends because we typically would, would get in a long, longer ERG session. So uh, it's been a, a nice mix of, of ERG and then uh, more strength and, and mobility type stuff. That's good. That's been, that's really good. I mean, to be fair, like for you guys, it's testament to you that you've been able to persevere through this year because this year has been there and it really. And, um, but also it's like, I'd take my hats off to Talisker and the Atlantic Challenge guys because they've persevered through this. Like Talisker obviously sponsoring it and they have done for a long time and they could pull the plug because it's their reputation at risk. Mm, yeah. And they've not. And and the Atlantic and obviously they've got faith in those that team because they've gone out there and put it together and made it work. So that's a I mean it's a good effort all round, really. Do you not agree, Aldo? Still to get it out the door when yeah, when there's so many restrictions on on travel. Once you get going, though, um, you're going to be in the safest spot. Taking social distancing and, and, and creating your own bubble to another level. Yeah, exactly. Have you, have, you guys had a, have you guys had a night out in the boat yet? Have you, yeah, you've done that on the North Sea and gone through the routine. Yeah, yeah, we've, yeah we've, we've got to know each other pretty well. Yeah, definitely. But, we're, yeah, we're, we're on the same size boat as for four of us, which five of you guys were on. So I was I was I was the smallest bloke on that, that boat, probably. Um, so I was Fox, Foxy sent me a message saying you were the coxswain. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, that, no, no, I didn't say he was a coxswain. <laughs> um, no, I, like I was the smallest for five blokes on there um, was was pretty tight. Like and we, we had a couple of days of under her ankle not going anywhere just being smashed around by by the waves and it's once it's fine when you're all out on deck rowing as you know but it's like when you go into lockdown 
then it's like, <laughs> I mean, that, that the far end cabin had three of them in it. I have no idea how they fitted in. Who, who was up in the bow and who's in the stern for you guys? Me and, Al, me and Aldo were in the yeah. stern with the equipment, with all the comms equipment, because no one else wanted to sleep next to that when the yeah. alarms were going off. Um, the, so the bigger cabin at the front was for the three of them. Now, Ross is about the same size as Aldo. 5'9". <laughs> but, but, uh, okay, sorry. I don't, there's, there's always beef between them about size, but anyway. But the other two, Matt Bennett and Ollie Bailey, who were both from the financial sector, they are units like I'm I'm not small, but they are they dwarf me. Bailey's like six four, six five, Matt's six three, six four, and they're lumps as well. So to be fair, that cabin at the far, you know, up forward, as they say in the in the nautical world, is um is big enough, but it wasn't with those three in it. And it was honking. Like we 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 kept ours clean. And I that's a bit of advice I'd give to you. Keep the cabins clean because that's your only. It's that's your that's your haven. It's like morale happens in there, but um, theirs was stinking. That we are, you know, every now and again we'd go in there and you'd find bits of skin from four weeks before, and you know, skin off the feet and whatnot. It was honking, you know, each each to their own. Where whereabouts are you two in a cabin to get? Have you worked that one out, or you just hop? Well, we, we worked it out pretty quickly on the first row, actually. Dixon, being the captain, said, I'm going up front and uh, you know, I need the presidential palace. So, <laughs> <laughs> Muggins here was the only one who had like his day skippers and any, any nautical kind of knowledge. So it was like I shoved in the stern yeah, straight yeah, away. And Todd was like, well, I roped you into this, so um, I'll come in the back. Which, but Todd's like six foot four as well, so I'm crammed in. <laughs> so there's two of us in there, but... Actually, it, work, it works well, and yeah, we got so we have all, all the comms, obviously, which you guys are aware of, the VHF and the Garmin and the plotter, the auto helm, which is just bloody noisy. Right, just I've, just quickly, I'll stop you there. How many spare auto helms have you got? So we got three auto helms with us. Good, good effort, well done. Because tell, <laughs> I, I trust, trust me, trust me. That's your only route to morale is that auto helm because if that goes tits up, you're going to be in a world of hurt mentally. Yeah, the hand steering is just not a, not an option. And it's worth you've probably been told it, but it's worth changing it out every week, even if it's not struggling. Just change it out and keep giving it a rest. And, and then in the bow cabin, we have the uh, espresso maker and the juicer. So you actually? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no, he has brought his man to do that. Yeah, yeah. Aldo, do you want to, do you want to tell the lads about our very what is now? Now an infamous story about our tea and coffee. You might have even yeah. We so you know obviously coming from from Royal Marines heritage, like getting a wet on is is uh, like pretty important. And uh... as a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B two B, and advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B two B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. 
Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Uh, so there's five of us there, and, and like I drink coffee, Foxy does, Matt does, uh, Bailey does, but Ross doesn't drink hot drink. So he's still um, like sort of small child in that respect, juice. But we did give him one of his jobs before going. You know, like we all get given jobs, like you all get given tasks to make sure you get the stuff ready for the boat, whatever that is. His was what we call in the Marines the wet boat. You know, he was in charge of all the makings tea, coffee, hot chocolate. Milk, sugar, all that. Sugar, milk, yeah. And then, and so we're all like, and the, and the, you know, as the lead up that you guys have been doing, cutting all the like edges off of things, trying to reduce weight, and we've got all this big bundle of like coffee and tea and all the rest of it. Um, and we, um, we all have a pretty rough night the night before we go out. Everyone's doing their own thing, and uh, we get in the boats, we set off. We're still quite nervous. Head out into a fairly decent big sea and uh we're all sort of like wide-eyed first time i'd been at sea at night in in the boat as well i hadn't spent any time um in it really um so it was my first night so we're like as we see portugal disappearing off into the sort of uh behind the horizon it's like right it's getting dark let's get the tea and coffee on well what cabin are they in? And we're like, I'm sort of rooting around. Foxy's like rooting around looking for, for where the team coffee is. And he's like, ah, <laughs> um, <laughs> he's like, yeah, um, I meant to tell you, I think I've left it. <laughs> and we, and you know, so we're on the first night heading out into what could possibly be two months worth of, of chopping around in the Atlantic. And we don't have any tea, coffee, hot chocolate. Uh, literally all we had was, was, Hot, hot water and um, jelly babies. That was about it, wasn't it? It was horrendous, honestly. We, I thought he was going to get launched at, at first when everyone, like when the initial sort of shock set in that we weren't going to be drinking anything other than hot water. Yeah, I mean, our uh, mine and Aldo's saving grace is we took Barocca. Yeah. So like the highlight of the day was just this in the morning a flavored orange pint of water that was that was as good as it gets but um yeah oh. ross is still alive don't worry he doesn't care that he let us down either he never does. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you what do you see as your main challenges on this one i think um there's there's a couple of different dynamics so lots of people concentrate on one which we covered off already you know the physical training side of things and you know are you strong enough how, how's the body going to hold up but a really big dynamic, I'd say it's 50% of it, is mental resilience. Um, and I think it's something that we've worked on a lot and we've spoken to each other about what are our pinch points, what, you know, where are our emotions, what's been going on at home. And it's you know, certainly something for me, coming from, coming from the military and like you guys, that you know, it's something which has been discussed a lot more, especially amongst blokes now. And you know, a lot of people have asked us about that and they're like, 
so you really talked about you know, you know when do you last cry what's going on it's like yeah because actually we want to get all of those ghosts out of, mm -hmm. out of the closet now um and, and really tackle that and I, I think it's so important and that's actually a lesson for life for a lot of people to go go forward with and really understand and you know don't feel afraid and i remember when i came back from afghanistan the first time and my brother-in-law said you know what's going on are you speaking to people and i was like yeah kind of he's like jim you've you've had two shoulder surgeries you've had a leg operation every time you've gone away got fixed by a surgeon had a physio massaged it all back you know manipulated it you should go and get someone just to massage the brain you know and just just work it out and just talk to people and it was such a good way of putting it for me and it's something that we've transferred all the way through because you're going to be in the middle of the ogin you know the, the ocean for you know 1500 miles from from the coast at any point and there's no one else there apart from the four of you and there's going to be pinch points the weather's going to play an effect on it you're going to be knackered whatever and something could erupt even the smallest thing and just being able to talk about that and try and war, war game it beforehand and look at the yeah. different scenarios it's just vital so for me i think that's probably one of the biggest challenges and that's an awesome that's awesome to hear you say that you've approached it in that way i mean obviously me and aldo talk about this sort of stuff all the time and we preach to people about it all the time and it's good to hear you saying it as well but ultimately i don't think all of us did that on that boat did we i mean we 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 got on very well. We had a few mishaps, a few little hiccups, but mm. ultimately it would have been even better, I think, if we'd have probably had that discussion. But maybe maybe four years ago wasn't that time. Who knows? Well, I, I think there's, um, like saying what you said there is quite important, is um, a mutual respect, which sounds like, it, it sounds weird saying it because you think, well, of course we do. You know, we're mates and we're about to do this thing, but... There's a couple of times on the boat, for example, where like after we got capsized and Foxy and I are, you know, freezing at the back of the boat, trying to work out like knots and how to, to put like a, a Foxy wasn't cold, um, but like trying to, you know, like trying to get these, we were going through the, the like classic symptoms of like hypothermia, irritability, like, you know, just being irrational, you know, and, but that that mutual respect of knowing that like right well we're both arguing about this so one of us needs to like step up and do this bit and then the other one can do that bit and I think you know ultimately we didn't have that many blowouts about things because because there was that sort of mutual respect in the way we we think you know like and and it's words that I always remember from Foxy is that like about big timing it is that you know, you never know when you're going to be the one needing help. So just like be humble and, and wind your neck in. And that's so true. Like on that, that row, you know, 20% of it is, is fitness and, and, you know, and, uh, and, and staying the course. The rest of it is, is mental and, and admin basically. So it's, um, yeah. Yeah. I, I had a classic example in that where I had nothing wrong with me for like six and a half weeks. And I was like doing like, first aid and lancing boils and all the rest of it there's nothing wrong with me and I started to get a bit on my high horse and then I was swiped down with galloping crotch rot and mold all up inside my arms and and it was just like a good reminder that you know like everyone's just one step away from being being smashed I wasn't I wasn't <laughs> laughing at all um I tell you what though I, I always like to like bring something 
from these podcasts to people that they can take away with. But if you think about the, the, the respect that people should have for each other on a boat with regard to their mental well-being and also, you know, how they're getting on day to day physically, we should do that in society. Society should just be one big boat where we think about other people every now and again because it makes for a much happier place to be hanging around. But anyway, there we go. There's my thought for the day. Um, and, and Foxy, too, the, the, the other thing, too, that I just quickly add to it is, you know, at the end of the day, the Towson-Grosky Atlantic Challenge is a race, too. So we are um, competing against 20 other teams, and, and our teammate Todd Hooper says this, and, and I think we completely agree with him. The other mental challenge that we'll have is if we do have any issues, whether physical or mechanical, and, and seasickness plays a big role in, in this as well. And there have been situations in past races where rowers will get violently seasick to the point where they need to be uh, medevaced off a boat. Um, and so for us, I think one of the big things that we've also talked through too is how do we deal with a situation where one of us does get seasick or a couple of us get seasick or we do have mechanical issues and we fall behind in the race. Um, because ultimately it is about the journey the adventure and we just need to remind ourselves that that we're doing this because we want to do it and um, while the goal is to win race we just need to make sure that we can kind of battle through anything that that happens in the event that we do start to fall behind a little bit which i think is is key as well yeah definitely a good thought but that actually leads nicely into who would you deem as your main competition on this race <laughs> we probably um, oh, that that means there is something there. There's a group that you've taken a dislike. <laughs> Isn't well, that natural? <laughs> there, there's there, there, there are there are a few teams. I mean, it's yeah. definitely a competitive field, and and I think that that motivates us more. There's a team called Row for Cancer uh, that, that's a twosome. A guy named uh, Mark Slats and uh, another guy named Kai, and I'm, I'm blanking on his last yeah. name. But um, uh, Mark is a world record holder. He's done the race before. Um, as, his, a, as a solo, he smashed it in 30 days. Yeah. So, um, and his uh, his teammate is an incredibly fit guy as well, and, and they have a, a boat that is, uh, I, I think, what, 150? 150 kilos, kilos yeah. unloaded. Yeah, yeah. Um, so a, a very light boat and, and both absolute specimens. So I think they're definitely a team to watch. Uh, and then there are a couple other foursomes. There's there's a, a team called On Shoulders of Giants, uh, another team called Forfeiter Planet, uh, Audacity, um, all foursomes that, that look very strong and fit. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, it's, you know, it's really anyone's race. I mean, who knows what can happen out there. Um, but I think those are probably the teams that we're going to be probably tracking most yeah. closely. Who were you thinking of, of them when I said it was your main competition? <laughs> There's obviously someone you don't like. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I know this shit goes down. Come on. <laughs> yeah. We are just taking a look at, look at all of the guys, how they're walking in the park and uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the strut and you know if some boys are, some boys are gone for the long haul it looks like they're going out to do a bit of caravanning and you know maybe maybe they haven't taken as many rations because they've eaten them already and you know <laughs> <laughs> how how important is it um this is going to sound uh slightly funny but how important is it actually to win or to take part i i think yeah, I joined. I joined the team last, and it's been a very short baptism of fire. You know, having only joined at the end of June, beginning of July, um, which is pretty rapid turnaround uh, for it. Yeah. Mm. Um, but the reason, lots of reasons why I joined. I knew about the race before, and had lots of people. You know, made mine had taken the the amputee's boat over. Um, you know, so 
fully read into it, but it was a desire for these guys to go out and win, which really, you know, struck a chord with me. And I think, you know, that's something that I've, I've taken from the military days, um, you know, and the sense of wanting to succeed and never, never lose and never give up. And I think that was a mindset and something that I immediately related to. So uh, absolutely taking part, you're, you're going to be doing something very unique. You know, more people have been to the top of Everest than have rode an ocean, et cetera. But um, yeah, the overwhelming desire to win is probably the strongest chord with all of us. Yeah. As, as it should be really, you know, taking part is obviously the most important, but when you're young and you want to get across that ocean, it is about winning as well. You know, that's that's the drive. It's good to have that drive, I reckon. Mate, I've got to say a few things, but we're gonna I'm gonna slowly wrap it up because I'm aware of time and that, even though you, you haven't been out any later than one o'clock. Firstly, on a on a slightly lighter note, but maybe darker, I'd just like to let you know that you, you talk about Elida and it's got, you know, it's so is is it looking a bit battered? She's a little bit tired, but she's done five crossings now. Not only that, I think I personally have covered that boat. There were a few, there were a few sketchy days early on in the crossing, and I had a dicky stomach, and yeah, I had. I had were a, you seasick, Foxy? I was never seasick, was I? I just had, I had, um, I never get seasick, mate. I was in the special boat service. Now, do, do you remember? I used to, I got overcome with needing to go to the toilet on, like rapidly, like me and him. Proper. We'd batten down the hatches. The waves were crap. Like it was too rough to, to row. We had the power anchor out, and it was just like. You know, and then I'm sat next to him, and I'm like, "Mate," and he's like, "You're gonna have to come out there." And literally, I was outside, massive waves crashing into me. Oh, mate, it was it went everywhere. Anyway, you, you aren't alone. We won't say which of our teammates, but one of our teammates had a similar experience where he was uh, he was on the bucket on deck, and a and a wave came over the deck, and. Uh, Let's just say he and the bucket both uh, both ended up was, kind of tipped just, over. It was disturbing. <laughs> I, I was rowing in the first position, and he was a foot in front of me. He went over, bang, bucket on the side. He's hanging off the rails. I'm like, ah! <laughs> Quality. Okay, so we're going to last, last few questions, and I'm going to go to Instagram, and then we're going to wrap it up and let you guys get back into getting your head in the game. Who are you raising money for and why, if there's a reason? Yeah, so I'm, I'm raising money for the for Achilles International, which is a fantastic organization that enables uh, folks with various disabilities to participate in endurance events um, with a primary focus on running and triathlons. And so I've had the privilege to guide some visually impaired athletes in the New York City Marathon and the Brooklyn Half Marathon, and then uh, a variety of different practices um, that they have uh, typically two times per week in, in New York. So um, it's it's been inspiring to say the least, especially as, as someone who has such a love for the endurance community um, to, to participate in that and, and help um, visually impaired athletes go out and, and um, help guide them and achieve uh, the goals that they set for themselves in the, in the running and triathlon world. So, um, so a, a focus for me on them. Yeah. For myself, I'm raising money for the Pluris Foundation. Uh, we set up a charitable um, unit for, for Pluris this year because actually we didn't, we didn't want to just play lip service to conservation and wildlife protection. And ultimately, you know, we're only custodians of this world for the next generations. And certainly in travel, we've got to protect places more. We've got to encourage the people we work with to do that. Um, and so the Pluris Foundation was set up just for that, that every single project we run 
uh, money goes into an initiative that it's either on that project or into other charities that support the ecosystem, um, the wildlife, wherever we're going around the world. So those are our two. And then Jono is supporting the Not Forgotten, um, uh, which is the Armed Forces uh, charity. And then uh, Todd is supporting uh, the, the Brian Cross um, Memorial Foundation, which is a, um, a brain tumor foundation. Nice one, thanks. Um, a real, right, so for both of you, this what and you know it's obvious because this is the Wild Tales podcast. But what does the out what does the outdoors mean to you and your well being? Is it something that you fa- need to factor in because it's important? For for me, my my happiness, I would say, kind of revolves around my ability to be outdoors and and doing things that are adventurous. So um, it, it might sound uh, kind of counterintuitive, but as someone who grew up in New York City. Um, I've actually been lucky enough to grow up surfing, skiing, participating in triathlons, just kind of being out in nature. And uh, and for me, it's everything. Um, and, and it's where I'm happiest. It's where I feel like I can kind of escape from the noise of the world and and just completely disconnect. And so that's one of the reasons why I'm drawn to this race, because I think the moments when we're together as a team, when it is calm and there are those dramatic sunrises and sunsets and you see the whales and pods of dolphins and, and uh, swimming by you, I, I think that'll be one of those moments where, where you're just completely um, kind of in awe of nature and, and just remember those for, for a lifetime. Yeah, and I think likewise for, for me really, guys, is that yeah, everything I've done, the previous career, what have you, it's all about being outdoors and then setting up Polaris as well. It's just another stage in that. And I think, you know, we spend so much time in front of a computer now and I need that mental break and block and just getting out. Jordan and I, my business partner, some of our best creativity and strategy sessions are going outside and actually going up into the hills and what have you. You know, he lives in Herefordshire, I'm down in Somerset, and we we go and have walks and and whatever to go away and think about things. And it's so important. I think people need to get outdoors more. Actually, during lockdown, maybe that was encouraged more by taking that hour exercise and people realizing that, you know, getting, getting some, you know, the heart rate rise, doing something physical. And it's not even just physical, going for a walk really does help um, with uh, the kind of the mental area as well. Uh, I was just thinking that when you when you were saying that then, I was thinking every time, like I bang on about this all the time about being outside. And and, um, and just when you were saying that, I was like, I haven't been in the hills in ages. Uh, I want to do this, I want to do that. And like even now when I spend, you know, a lot of my time outside, I still feel like it's it's not enough. Um, I head off to Saudi, so I'm away for for two weeks exploring sort of lava tubes and and things there, but uh, and and climbing. But um, so I head off tonight though for like three days of just paddling down the the River Avon, um, which is like close to where I am. But it's just like it's just getting outside and doing stuff. I just feel like the more I do, the, the better I am as a person. When I'm not doing it, I'm like, I'm a shit of a bloke to be around. Um, but along with like physical exercise as well, it's, it's just like two things that I kind of feel like I need to be doing a lot more of. Yeah, I, I completely agree. You know, my wife always says, if you're getting stressed, she's like, go out, go for a run, go and take some time outside. And yeah, it's, it's so true. You, you just got to break free. Um, yeah, I, I, I think to, to Jimmy's point too, you know, what's, what's important is, you know, there's, 
there's such a range you can you can get out and go for a walk for an hour and feel refreshed and, and then there's obviously something like rowing across the atlantic and um i, I think just any ability to just get outside and, and get some fresh air and, and it, it doesn't have to be as something as dramatic as this i think is, is really important uh to stress from having done it when you're out there don't forget to take five minutes half an hour out and just be in awe of being on a tiny boat in the middle of one of the biggest oceans on earth um you know miles hundreds thousands of miles away from from you know help really it's it's such a special unique place to be um you know and well you could you, you could be sort of put off by it and too busy with like all the the gubbins that goes with rowing across the Atlantic, but take time out to enjoy it because even at the longest crossing, it will be done and gone and you'll be back on with the rest of your life in no time. Um, we, we found that and it's like, we, we got lots of learning from it, but it definitely, you know, we could have done with spending more time being present there. If your crossing yeah. was 50 days, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah 50, 50 days, 10 hours, 36 minutes. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I'd say, mate, take those times to enjoy it because you have like, I feel like I've got an affinity to like the Atlantic Ocean. I'm proud that I did it. And I'm like, whenever someone talks about the Atlantic, I'm like, yeah, I did it. <laughs> but yeah, Foxy, do you know that the other thing that I get is like when I'm standing on a beach somewhere looking out, I'm all, and I've, I've flown to Venezuela two or three times since we did that row and it's the exact same route that you sort of fly down and like you can do it in 10 hours and you just look out the window or you're on the beach and you're looking out and you think, like I've rode like our team rode with no engines for 50 days and we crossed the planet it's it's, it's mega special yeah. really special yeah yeah I, I, yeah definitely right I have got um <clears throat> I've picked it uh, there's two there's two I want to well there's two I want to get answered um one of them sort of for Aldo really the one that I've got to ask um you two guys Dixon Jimmy is from a person called Charlie underscore B underscore 33. And she starts off saying, Aldo had to dress the wounds on Foxy's ass. Thanks for the reminder. Of your teammates, who would you ask to do yours? So before you answer, what I'm actually going to turn that question into is, is who is the med specialist? Who's the medic on board? Who's who picked up that job? I think uh, Jono, who's who's the teammate who I'm sharing the uh, the bow suite with, is the the medical specialist. Um, so he's he's put the whole kit together, and uh, I've had to sleep tip to tip with him. So um, I think my my. Hey, you need to reword that now. I'll give you that opportunity just to reword that the answer. Very <laughs> so, Americanism. So, <laughs> so, uh, so I think I think my answer would probably be John, given given how close we've gotten. <laughs> okay, so uh, just for for the Brits out there that don't understand Americanism, that's top to tail, basically. Head to tail. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh dear. Um, okay, cool. So you've got your designating medic. Aldo was actually ours, did an amazing job. Don't normally say that, but yeah, he did. Um, I'm going to go back to one that's fun. It's from John Merriweather. Um, John underscore Merriweather. Weather. I'm afraid, mate, that you don't win anything. Aldo, what's the most peculiar thing you've seen in the ocean? Oh, 
The most peculiar, uh, okay, so th this is a good one, so um, I'll keep it short. We, after, after a very short space of time, um, like two or three weeks, once we started getting into the groove of it, we needed to clean the bottom of the boat, um, which you guys will need to do as well. Um, and we'd been sort of followed by this sort of oceanic white tip shadow and the swell that we could see, and that disappeared, and it was like, right, Foxy, get in the water. Um, and, and so we go through this whole rigmarole of strapping a knife onto the end of an oar, like as a, as a spike potentially. And we get Foxy in the water and we'd been like, for weeks we'd been like, these, these like sailfish are amazing. They're like beautiful colors, iridescent and they're like crisp packets that are blowing past us. Um, none of us realized they were Portuguese men of war, um, which was just, uh, amazing to see these these they're not really jellyfish but um like I'd, I'd never seen one before and yet foxy's in in amongst the boat cleaning up and, and these are sort of like drifting past beautiful yeah that's probably it. beautiful but dangerous yeah um okay. right lads we're gonna have to wrap it up here unfortunately because i could chat like this for ages it's been it's been a really good laugh but um i'd like to say i'll, I'll, I'll let aldo sign off as well but lads good luck um don't overthink it. Just take, just deal with every second as it throws itself at you and enjoy it because it is an awesome thing that you're about to do. You're going to love it. You're going to be in the middle of the ocean away from all the shit that's going on elsewhere. And um, yeah, massively good luck. Also, before we sign off, just tell everyone where they can follow you, what your, what your tags are on Insta, whatever whatever the platforms are, let us know so then they can follow you and also hopefully support the charities that you're representing. Yeah, so there, there are a couple of ways you can follow us. Uh, the first is uh, via our Instagram account at LAT, L-A-T 35 Atlantic Challenge 2020. Um, we'll be updating our Instagram account. Uh, and then there's an app called YD Races. Uh, you can enter in Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge 2020 about three days prior to the race. Our team name is Latitude 35, and so you can track us there. Um, and then Jimmy can mention the other way. Yeah, and then on the, the plorisex.com website, we're going to have a, um, a daily update and media uploaded onto that. So you'll be able to get a, a bit of a, a Q&A session from us and you know, just general feel how we're doing each day. Uh, um, where we're at. Uh, mate, lads, really, really good effort. And I hope to see you soon at the end of this for beers and whatnot. Um, Aldo? Yeah, just guys, mega good luck. It's um, it's just a bit of graft and it'll be over before you know it. And remember, just no one told us this, but if you are actually rowing away from anything, like a car crash of a thing that's happening, it will catch up with you when you get to the other side. <laughs> <laughs> Any any demons or skeletons in them closets, they don't go nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> you across the ocean. <laughs> Thanks for the advice. <laughs> uh, take it easy, lads. Sweet. Thank you, guys. Thank Good you. luck. Thanks, Thanks, guys. Cheers, guys. Thanks very much to Dixon and Jimmy, and best of luck to Latitude 35 and all the teams in the Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge. Massive thanks to Aldo as well. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you don't already and follow me and the Book of Man for the latest news. Thanks again to Talisker for supporting this podcast and thanks to you all for listening. Take it easy and I'll see you again soon.